Welcome to episode 88 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. Uh, I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. Daz, have you got all your toilet paper sorted there in Sydney tonight? Have you been to Woolies and uh, sorted yourself out? I did. It's funny you should ask. start off with toilet paper and a question without notice, but I just got in a Twitter chat with none other than Todd, Todd Sampson of uh, Gruen fame, who um, must have been away for a few days and come back and said, had a photo of, you know, empty woolies and said, have, you know, how stupid are we? Was his question. And I, I joined in the Twitter conversation. I said, Todd, just in case Twitter convenes to give you rhetorical answers and, and, and quippy gifts, let me show you a histogram. So I took a, that there's data from woolies online of the number of suburbs whose, whose um, woolly stores have sold out of toilet paper. So I had a perfect bar chart. Number one on the list, right? Neutral, neutral Bay, right next door to me here in the North Shore. So, Daz, the short answer is 22 Woolly stores in the lower North Shore have been sold out of toilet paper. And um, I am pleased to say I had a lucky stash because I'm a, I'm a no-shit guy um, and didn't need to, you know, schlep through the stores. But there's actually good data about this now, about who's... who's well, I've, I've got another two questions about Naz on this. A, do you know anyone that has stocked up in toilet paper? And B, what would you say to a person who admitted to you they've stocked up on toilet paper? I do. I do know someone. I'll keep her nameless, <laughs> Deborah. And um, I go, what's, honestly, what's wrong with you? Don't you, like, are you worried about, like, suddenly getting, like, the shits? Like, what, what's wrong? Just, and it was, it was the perfect panic logic, Daz, right? Is well, everyone else was getting it, so I wanted to make sure I had mine. So I'm like, hey, no, you're part of the problem. And so she wouldn't, you know, engage me on the efficacy of toilet paper correlation to coronavirus, which is nowhere to be found in healthy humans in Australia, by the way. She wouldn't engage that. Just all oh, everyone else is doing it. Well, well someone said to me the paper is. <laughs> well, someone said to me the paper is imported from China, and if they shut down all the trade from China, we'll have no paper imported. And therefore, we won't be able to make the toilet paper. <laughs> that oh, is seriously God. that's some spiritual stuff there. I mean, I think oh. if we, we sort of dive into the Twitter logic here, Daz. That's some of the that's some that's some rich rich stuff here. That's I want to know who started. Who was the and, first person in Australia or in the, or the world that went and said, "I need to stock up on toilet paper." And then one person Probably, saw that know. person and went, oh, that's that person stocking them all. I'm a cynic. I'm going to say Gina Reinhart holds stock in some <laughs> pulp and paper manufacturer in Indonesian. And she's, well, it's like that old experiment. It's like that old yeah. experiment where mm. if you stand outside and you stare up at the sky in the middle of the street and then you see how many other people just stop and start staring up at the sky with you. <laughs> Or maybe a more apt analogy is Forrest Gump when he's running across America and all these people just join him and then he just stops and they were like, why did you run anyway? He's like, I just liked running. (laughs) I just like running, man. So this one, the one I've actually just made me, I can't believe, welcome to the NBA pod number 88 here, thousand thousand or nine listeners. This is specifically developed and produced for Woolies, um, packaged in Australia from imported materials. Okay. Mm. All right. That's um, see, Dad, I've got so you thinking go. now. So there you go. There is some. There I've is got some you thinking. Chain. Um, there's some supply chain questions here. <laughs> Very good. Well, 
This Vavel Luxury Soft Double Link <laughs> Embossed White Toilet Tissue 3 Ply 380 Sheets, man. This better this better last me a while. So oh, um, no no curries or no uh, un, un, unwarranted chili sauce in my household until this stuff is back on the shelf, uh, staff. So okay, does as well, sir. Yes. Well, look. Let, let's get started with some NBA. This is this is what we're here to talk about. What we want to talk about tonight is the Eastern Conference in particular. I want to look at the top of the Eastern Conference. I've made a I've made a particular point of watching the teams that are going to be challenging the Bucks uh, for supremacy in the Eastern Conference. Now, four of the, the top five teams that are playing against them have played against them uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, and Boston's going to play them, I believe it's either this week or next week, so we're going to get to see Boston action. I watch Boston against uh, the Jazz as well, so I want to, but I want to talk about all five of those other sort of contenders such as they are uh, against the Bucks, how they went against the Bucks, and what chance we sort of give them either of beating the Bucks this year and if we say well they're not going to beat the Bucks this year what's the prospects for these these teams going forward I think that's that's an interesting discussion to have and then of course we'll also look at the game does uh, the Bucks Lakers from the weekend, and then if we've got time, we'll have a few questions without notice about the rest of the Eastern Conference after that. But I wanted to start with the first game, which goes back a couple of weeks ago uh, to the Raptors, the Bucks at the Raptors, and this was the first yeah. game that really impressed me uh, from Milwaukee's point of view because the the Raptors were on a seventeen game win streak. the The Bucks are coming in second night of a back to back. They squeaked out the win over Washington the night before, which Washington, while not a great team, play very fast. So I thought the Bucks are going to come in, maybe a little bit gassed from that, maybe not not quite you know, on their game right from the start. Fortunately, I think Giannis had some foul troubles. So they probably didn't play his normal minute total against the Wizards, but they just came out as and the game to me was never in doubt. I mean, I never at any stage felt that the Raptors had a foothold in the game and, and the Bucks ended up with a pretty comfortable 11-point win, which I thought was maybe even a bit more comfortable than the scoreline suggested. But did you feel the same way, sort of watching it from where, where you were? There was a period of time in the first half that looked just like, you know, the playoffs the previous year. Um, they, it was just blistering Toronto shooting. And so when Toronto makes a shot and they go back and set up their defence, um, you know, it was... It looked like the Bucks just kind of grinding their way through half-court offense, which still can look clunky, like any NBA team, right? Half-court offenses are a lost art unless you have Chris Paul or LeBron on your teams, it seems. But um, so there was a time early in the game, but I, I didn't because I've seen the story so many times this year. The Bucks can go on 15 to two and 17 to three runs in like two minutes. I still had no at that point. They were down, I think, 13. It wasn't a worry. Um, they kind of closed the gap a bit with a nice surge at the end of the second quarter. And then the key stat that went kind of to your point was, I think Toronto was 14 for 30 or 14 for 31 from three early in the third quarter. And that's when the Bucks had tied the game. So that's the point where I kind of knew the Bucks had found their feet. They found some rhythm on offense. They were piercing the defense pretty easily. I don't think Gasol played, if I'm not mistaken. He's been out for a while, hasn't he? So there was just really no, uh, there was no really no one at the rim um, they were doing a good job pulling Ibaka away from the rim. So Giannis has had his way, you know, inside. And so that it was a pretty comfortable, um, 
pretty comfortable 10-point gap the Bucks had found in the third that kind of maintained through well, it. Well, I just it, got like the Bucks. It, it, when, the, when the shooting – sorry, when the, there was a point where – so they, Toronto was 14 for 30 or 14 for the first 30 from three, and then they missed, I think, nine out of ten, which is highly predictable. That's what happens when you shoot three-pointers. Those nine or ten misses in a row, long rebounds, Bucks in transition – uh, Toronto on their feet can't set their D. Bucks are terrific at c- causing mismatches, and of course Giannis in the open court, y- unique, right? And so that's when they just sort of put their foot on the throat, and Toronto just never had enough to kind of get claw back into it. So well, it felt that, to me simple. like that's a game. The the game. Yeah. It felt to me like a game where the Bucks basically said, if you can shoot sixty percent from three, hat tip to you, you're going, you, well, yeah, you're going to get the win. But that's what you're going to have to do to boot us. Uh, and they just, they do. And I think the Raptors, to me, in that game were, were constantly taking the shots that the Bucks wanted them to take. And the Bucks played the percentages yeah. defensively, and eventually the percentages caught up with with yeah. uh, with the Raptors. So the Raptors, uh, and I think yeah. it sort of encapsulates, I think, where the Raptors are. They are the second best team in the East, but they're not they're not at that Bucks level yet. But I don't think. They have another level to get to, whereas I think there's one team in particular that I'm going to argue later that I think does have another level to get to, but they're just not as consistent night to night as what the Raptors are. I think the Raptors are a very consistent team. They've shown that with their win-loss record. You don't win 17 games straight without sort of turning up every single night, but they don't have that. And that's what obviously missing Kawhi does to you. You can't get to that extra level that you're going to need to get to, uh, to beat the Bucks seven, uh, four out of seven. And the level in, the level in simple terms in defined in in the playoffs, right. Is what was um, one of the, uh, the weaknesses of the Bucks last year was again, just the simple ability to have enough ISO scoring, right. When defenses really dig in, and games are tight and they need to just create a shot and that was that's where i think if i'm a toronto fan i think you're starting to see that you've been playing with house money and i think as april turns to may you're probably going to be you know happy that you're leaving the casino you know still up but probably knew you weren't going to win the win the jackpot is that Giannis and siakam that is a that's an easy matchup for for milwaukee siakam couldn't get around Giannis. siakam couldn't shoot over Giannis. he just doesn't have Right, he's not a very quick player. He does, he's kind of Middleton-y in that way, or he's more skills and rangy. But he just could not do anything. So Giannis is matched up defensively a lot on um, on Siakam, and he just couldn't do anything. Um, and as you, as per usual, Bledsoe's D on, on Lowry happened to be Lowry had an off night. Bledsoe and DDV were playing good defense. And so when those are two creators and initiators. You're just asking. You, you you need Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell to basically go six for eight from three to bail you out of these late shot clock situations. And they need to be crashing the boards, which they just can't do against the best defensive round, rebounding team in the league. So I left that game. Yes, tiny sample set. Yes, one game. But as compo- as compared to last year, it's like the the tables turned. Now the Bucks have, as Giannis has definitely improved his game. I even said Middleton's even better than he was last year. The Bucks have more of that initiation in the half court than Toronto does, which is really going to get you over six, seven games. So that for me was the big deltas. I think the, the ceiling of the, of the Raptors goes as Siakam goes, and he's not in the, he's not in the universe of hell, even I'll, I'll say it, of, of a Tatum um, in terms of ability to create shots. Now, their, their role players have stepped up. 
right? Uh, Fred Van Vliet had another good year. Norm Powell scoring 20 points a game. Um, well, even Ananobi's looked Randy. really good uh, in the <clears throat> in recent times. Oh, uh, Ananobi, he's inconsistent, but I agree. But that's the one where, man, if I could have that draft over, taking Ananobi over DJ Wilson, right, man? Oh, what a fit oh, he'd be on pretty beautiful. much any NBA And shooting team, 38% from three this year. Yeah, there's a guy on the rise. Like I don't, he doesn't have the offensive skill set of a Siakam, but it's, there's a player in there, an Ananobi. But so, yeah, look, that was a pretty comfortable win. The gap was pretty obvious, and so I'm interested to hear more about your thinking. The when you, if I heard you correctly, that you think the Raps still are the second best team, and does that mean where you think they'll finish in the conference, or do you mean? That's your likely Eastern Conference finalist against Milwaukee. I think it is their likely Eastern Conference finalist <clears throat> because the, the team that I have that I think is the biggest threat to Milwaukee, who we'll get to, is probably going to be in that 4-5 slot. So I think it's going to be... I, I think the Raptors are better than the Celtics. Um, and we can even get to the Celtics next if you wanted uh, and, and what I saw from them against the Jazz. I just think you look through this, this lineup. I mean, the worst three-point shooter at the moment is Lowry who's shooting 35%, but on eight, eight threes a game. So it's not too bad, actually, at that volume to be shooting that. And everyone else is sort of well above that range. Uh, you know, Good shooting. Van Vliet's up, yep. up 30, 39% on uh, seven a game. You know, so they're a very good shooting team. They, and they just don't have bad games. They're not going to come out and lay an egg in, in a big game anymore. That's not this team. That was this team when DeRozan was there. Not not this team since the Kawhi Leonard. And it hasn't seemed to be this team at the very least during the regular season um, this year. And, and, I, and, you know, I wouldn't have any reason to think that they're going to fall away come the playoffs this year. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think maybe I'm saying, I think they have the, do I believe when I say it, they're the highest floor. Yeah, because even Boston on a, on a, on a grinding right. offensive day. I actually think Toronto has the highest floor, so you're going to get... You're going to get a but their ceiling's not as high as probably anyone else. Their ceiling's not as high as Boston's, I would say. And um, Heat, I'm, boy, we have to dig into them and just explore them a bit. But, yeah, so I, it was interesting watching the – so there's two things. There's a, there's a ceiling, right, in these teams. And then there's the um, – does the, the style of play lend itself to playoff basketball, right, which has been the blah, 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 bucks, blah, 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 haven't done it, so we're going to ignore everything, blah, blah, blah. All the narrative has been going around you know, Milwaukee all season because of what happened last year. <coughs> oh, sorry. Hold on a second. <coughs> sorry, coming off a bit of a non-exciting coronavirus cold <laughs> and just um, throat, throat grinding up. No lie, I went to the GP half hoping because I had this weird thing in my chest and my breath, my breathing was a bit short and I had this dry cough. I'm like, wow, I'm ticking all the three big boxes of corona. I actually got a little bit of <laughs> story to tell the grandkids. But Well, I got I had had the same the thing. Said, no, you don't even need fucking antibiotics, man. When I come back from uh, Did Europe, you? I had the worst dry cough. And if it had been right at the height of the coronavirus, everyone would have been freaking out the way I was coughing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was the worst cough I've ever had. Yeah. I've just never had a bad, as bad a dry cough <clears throat> as this. I just could not stop. It was a pain in the ass. Yeah, it, it was really just kind of grabs you, doesn't it? So my apologies. Um, so, um, sorry, edit that out? Yes, um, that's fine. So, uh, uh, Toronto, amazingly high floor. And what I was going to say is that I 
the one thing I used to um, almost look down at them and with the a bit of eh, a little bit of vitriol, but more of a you know, just sadness was with the the final Dwayne Casey days, and just they did just didn't have that killer. They didn't have that killer instinct where when when Lowry was a bit out of shape, let's say, and DD was just DeRozan just couldn't do enough, right? What I what I do like about this team though is they will play 48 minutes. They will play hard for 48 minutes, and I respect that about them. Whereas I think Boston, right, kind of switching gears if you want to take it there. I think Boston's ceiling is higher, but man, they still have these ebbs and flows, Daz. Like they're still a little bit sherry sherry on the offensive end, and still a little bit stand around and let Kemba, you know, do pick and roll, all these pull-ups. It's just still, it still feels like a super talented your turn, my turn kind of team. It just kind of lends itself to this all kind of standing around, you know, almost like a breakdancing circle, you know, where one guy comes in the middle, does a cool move and comes back out, and then the other <laughs> guy comes in and does the worm and comes back out, and one guy comes back in and does the head spin and comes back out into the circle. That's what the South Leagues feel like. They all take turns being great. It just doesn't ever feel like system basketball. It's all yeah, I, basketball. I so think I go, they're one of those teams for me that I seem to always catch them on the wrong night because I watched them against Utah. Utah beat them pretty comfortably. I watched them against the Spurs a few weeks ago. The Spurs absolutely spanked them in Boston and the Spurs put it mildly, haven't been having a great season. I watched them against the Bucks when they lost uh, a few weeks ago, it must have been a number of weeks ago now. Um, I did see them earlier in the season when they beat the Bucks, but I, it was not exactly a performance for the ages yeah. Um, yeah. by them. So, and, and then you sort of hear the Jason Tatum stuff, and Jason Tatum has, gets hot for a week, and all of a sudden he's going to be the MVP for the next four seasons, if you believe the, the Boston Central uh, national media. I totally believe US. it, yeah. Uh, so, the, yeah, there's a lot of hype around yep. this team. But I've, at no stage have I looked at them and thought, they're just, they're, I always sort of look at them and think they're at least a player short. You know, I just don't think we've had a pro- – and, I mean, Daniel Thais has had a nice season. Uh, don't get me wrong. Cantor's the same player he's always been. You can't play him uh, when, the, when the games get tough. But I just – I still feel like they're a big short. You know, and, and it's sort of an Al Horford from, say, two years ago. And we'll get to Al Horford yeah. this year in, in the Sixers. But that's the type of player I still feel like they're missing. So, you know, they're going to go on their runs. Um, Hayward's going to drift in and out of games. I, I don't. I think we can we can safely say Gordon Hayward's not coming back. The, the Utah Gordon Hayward, I think this is the sort of is what he is. Um, and he's put up reasonable numbers, actually, across the year. Good I mean, shooting this year. Yeah. yeah, he's got four, four assists, six and a half rebounds, 17 points. So it's not a, a complete disaster. But I think when you're watching the games, he's he's just so passive as down the down the stretch. I watched them. I'm uh, saying these are like Harrison Barn-level numbers, though, right? He's, this is, you know, he's a step... He's a step slow, but I'm with you. So it's interesting. You think there are – maybe we're saying the same thing just differently. Is I, I don't see them as a player away. I just think this team – I know the defensive rating would tell me differently, but watch today. I watched – I'll be honest. I just watched clips, and it's all about um, confirmation bias theater here on Daz and Daz, right? So you know my love affair for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Celtics had a big lead in the third quarter, and they just got bloody dissected. They got dissected today by who other than Chris Paul, right? Mm. So my point is they just, when Kemba Walker is your point of attack defense, right, and or, you know, Hayward up there guarding the twos and threes. Now, granted, Jalen Brown, I think was, I think he had a sprained ankle, so he wasn't, look, he doesn't guard point guards mostly, but I think 
uh, Jalen Brown's had a he's been out for a couple games, but Chris Paul got wherever he wanted, however he wanted, on the offensive end, and I go that's where I think is the kind of the big the big weakness in that defense when Kemba's your putting him through pick and roll after pick and roll or putting him out on the island with a playmaker like a Chris Paul, Chris Paul just pierced, just pierced that defense and did Chris Paul things, right? Which is, you know, the jump pass inside to a cutter, the, you know, hit four or five, uh, you know, mid-rangers, you know, those, you know, it looks, you might as well be a dunk for Giannis, Chris Rain, Chris Paul from the elbow, like that, that shot's going in. So that's what I saw that team today. And again, confirmation bias theater here. I just thought, yeesh, there's just some gaping holes on the defensive side that just lends itself, right? When they're a little cold stretch on offense, it lends itself to them giving up easy buckets. And that's why if they're kind of constantly kind of having to crawl out of, you know, crawl out of deficits, they're just, um, that's then maybe when, to your point, maybe they're one guy away from being able to climb back from a, you know, being down six points with four minutes to go, it's just it's going to take something pretty unique for that to happen because their defense has so many, so many holes in it. Particularly with Hayward, and particularly with with Kemba. Well, even even Mark Conley was having a day out against them on the weekend uh, for Utah, and Conley has not had a great year, which we've touched on a few times. So when Mike Conley's having his way, you got they had problems at the point of attack. Now part of that is down to Jalen Brown booing out, but they've also got no rim protection. And when you, and that's that's a bad mix to have, obviously, when you're trying to defend teams. Yeah. And I just feel like they're yeah. a little bit like Houston in the West at the moment, where they're, they're not quite as bad as Houston. But I think over a seven-game series, teams are going to work them out, and they're going to work out what the weaknesses are. They're going to force them to take the sort of shots that you want them to take in terms of, let's let Kemba try and take over the game. Let's let them play their ISO ball, which I think... Kemba Walker and Tatum's can sort of fall into that trap a little bit if, if you if you get them that way, you're thinking that way. So I think that's where, and Toronto are a smart enough team, I think, to get them to do that. So I think clearly I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it could be Boston-Philadelphia in that first round, so that could be an interesting matchup in, in and of itself. But I'd fancy Boston to get through that, but I just don't know that they're going to have enough. You know, it's funny... The player that, that I'd like to have seen them hold on to was Aaron Baines. I think if Aaron Baines was on this team, it, it makes a lot more sense, and I'm a lot more confident um, in their ability to go forward. Now, I don't Jesus, know. you're not you're not kidding. You're not kidding. They couldn't have foreseen what he'd do in the World Cup, and then whatever that was called. Did you? Sorry, just quick sidebar. Did you see what he did the other night? He, he I, now, saw, he, I saw he the box notice. score. I didn't watch the watch the game. Yeah, he, he now holds the record for most NBA points in a game ever scored by an Australian. Right? He mm. scored 37 points, Daz. He hit eight or nine triples, something like that. So, yeah, he has outscored. Who had the record? Would it have been Patty would well, have had, I think. A Patty would have had. Patty scored had a, 30 a few times. Yes. I know, I know Benson has scored 30 been, once, but Patty got 35 yeah, anyway, for the I think Spurs. I think so, that's it. I think Patty actually had the record. Ben Simmons actually has never heard scored 37, I don't think. No. So anyway, no, no. Baines holds the record is my point. You're, so you're exactly right. Perfect type of fit player for that system. And, um, yeah, I think I think Boston just took a – look, Tice has actually probably been better than most everyone's expected, right? And, again, their defensive rating just – it sort of betrays the eye test. But their defensive rating is pretty – they're still top five, if I'm not mistaken, the Celtics are. So – they do play some strong principled team defense, but again, when you got um, the talented like you know Chris Paul trying to pierce you, or it's going to be Giannis and Bledsoe trying to pierce you, um, I think that's just where their defense is going to collapse a lot, and they just need 
uh, elite, elite, right, um, help. And I just don't see their rim protection coming nearly enough to stop an Embiid, Embiid Simmons if they're healthy and, uh, you know, Giannis and co. I So, mm. you know, crazy things okay. happen. But I, I also sort of feel like they're super talented. But I, I feel like the uh, – just – it's just as they're a talent-based team where you got Milwaukee and Toronto are these, their systems, right? Toronto case, we have to tip your hat to them. They have so many bloody injuries. And, you know, whether it's the, um, you pick the next guy um, off the bench, Boucher and, um, I don't know, I can't even think of their names at the moment, but, right? You know, they've had this revolving door, this 12, 13-man deep um, rotation. And it's just a test to that, what, what, um, what nurses put in play. And that's where I go. The risk for Boston is one of those big three gets hurt and you're really, you're really in trouble. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they to me, it's a six man. It, they only go six deep at the moment as well. I don't trust Wanamaker. As I said before, I don't trust Cantor. So you've sort of got that. It's very top heavy. There's a few injury prone guys within that six as well. So one of those guys goes there and there you go, all of a sudden you're down to five guys you can trust. I think if you have Baines there, not only is he an extra big, he's another guy you can trust. He's won an NBA title. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah. with the way that he stretched his game out now, and he sort of flirted with shooting a few threes at, uh, with Boston. But yeah. credit, to, um, credit to the Australian national team and also the Monty Williams yeah. that sort of let him, let him fly this year. So um, yeah. he's an interesting trade candidate, I think, going forward for Phoenix also, just on the sidebar to that. So um, Yeah, and... And just as maybe it's a segue, as much as we like to, it's in, it's easy to bash, uh, bash or criticize what's happened in terms of roster construction. And Elton Brand probably going to put his hat in the ring for non-executive of the year with this with this team. But just to the just a um, uh, regarding back to Boston, when you look at players like you know, X factors, right? Last year, Fred VanVleet, critical, enormous, hugely important X factor for for Toronto. This this year, it looks like. Dante DiVincenzo's emerging as an X factor kind of Milwaukee. Can you get this unpredictable upside? And you go, where's that X factor in Boston? It's not Carson Edwards. It's not Romeo Langford. It's not Shemi Ojale, right? It's like they've kind of, I know they've not had, you know, lottery picks, but they've missed on a lot of these mid and late round first mm-hmm. rounders who just haven't given them that Terry Rozier ish, you know, kind of um, potential. You know, when you need a Lou Williams or a Montrez Harrell or a Kyle Kuzma or a George Hill, Dante DiVincenzo, you need that or a Fred Van Vliet, you know, type of performance. I think that's also where, to your point, they are, I think they're a shallow team and they play a lot of minutes compared to compared to the Bucks. And I think it's because they just don't trust. I just don't think they have got enough of this talent. And they have not filled the pipeline a bit where, again, easy to back to bash Philly. It looks like, you know, it's small sample sizes, but they might have something in this Matisse Tybel if he can, you know, he can shoot. Um, and even Shake Milton with his, you know, his, the, the, the day that he stole the headline from Giannis's 40-20-10 game or whatever it was, it was all about Shake Milton and a losing effort in Los Angeles. Yeah, so, I'm um, not buying Shaq Milton stock yeah. just yet, Des. Uh, but <laughs> no, no. I, I, I take anyway. I take the point. Well, let's let's move on. There's another two teams that I watched against the Bucks, and these two teams I think we can. So I think 
with Boston and, and Toronto, I think we're both in agreement that they're, they're good, solid teams, not quite good enough to beat the Bucks this year. But I think there's there's also some positive signs for the future. Tatum certainly has taken a step forward this year. There's no question about that. Yeah. And uh, I think oh, yeah. the the development of Siakam, the development of Ananobi in, in Toronto gives them some hope as well. But both teams, probably a player short. Um, I'm not sure who that player would be. Probably an upgrade to a, to an existing player for Toronto, and I think with Boston, a, yeah. a totally new player um, needs to come into that 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 team. Which you know no. they, they've got ways of, of bringing yeah. that player in too, Daz, um, in the off season. Yeah. I think so. Watch this space. I, I think both of those sides I, I expect to contend next year as well um, with the, with the Bucks and whoever else is sort of pushing up to the top uh, of the Eastern Conference, but. Let's quickly go to Philly first because I watched the, the oh, well, I, I basically watched the competitive portion of the Philly Bucks game, which is to say I watched about five minutes of it. Um, ben Simmons came on and played that game, uh, had a back injury coming into the game, went straight into the locker room. They said this was expected. He was going to be worked on every time he went off the court. There was clearly he'd done something to his back when he came down on the play. Um, he immediately left the court and, and didn't return and hasn't returned to the court since. I mean, if, you, if you're a Philly fan, how worried are you now looking at this roster construction, the fact that they're really locked into this team uh, in many ways for the future, um, you know, because beyond this season, because this season certainly seems like it's almost almost a wash, isn't it, from here? Yeah, you'd have to be, if you're not, if the panic button is, you're probably getting blisters and all the people pushing the panic button, right? <laughs> I, I think this is a, it's full-blown crisis. And I, I think it was a crisis even before Simmons' very worrying injury, which, quick sidebar, I had a nerve impingement um, uh, a couple of years back, back last time I was fit <laughs> from, and it's a, that is a really, really tricky thing to get right. And so if the, and it's, it's, there's only so much you can do right to try and, um, get the, whatever bone tendon muscle tissues are impinging on the nerve to release them back. And number two, there's just very, very hard to predict, um, the time it takes for nerves to heal. Right. It can be measured in days or it can be measured in months. And that's the tricky thing with a nerve with a nerve impingement type injury, which, again, I only I'm not a bloody doctor, but I learned this because I had a quite a quite a scare with one a couple years back. So so that's a, that's obviously any injury like that is, is a worry. Um, but look, I, I think this again, I'll probably be even it's I'm probably more harsh than, than many. I think the Al Horford signing is a mitigated disaster, a gargantuan contract for an aging guy with a theory of him playing. I think their theory was to have the biggest lineup in the lead to kind of right go against the Bucks, and or a theoretical, you know, finals appearance against, a, you know, either a Clippers or, or Lakers type type of roster. But one, he can't play the four. That's that's very, very clear. Um, and number two, that that giant contract has, means he's been pushed to the pushed to the bench. Nice spending one hundred and nine million dollars on a bench, an aging bench center. Who is redundant to your best player? That's that's a major problem, right? Um, major problem number two. I can't help but think, but could they have kept Jimmy? Could they have kept Jimmy and/or JJ Redick instead of, you know, instead of Horford? I don't know, but and I don't know the circumstances, and I don't think we know the details of, of exactly why why Jimmy left. And was it a? It sounds like it was Philly's choice, though, right? But man, oh man, Daz, I, I see the, how this team plays, and I think that 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 initiator, that wing defender. Um, 
the alpha in the locker room and the guy at the end of games is, is sorely missed. So I think they've whiffed both in terms of cost of Al Horford and the opportunity cost of what it might meant for, you know, keeping like a Jimmy or a JJ Redick. And then again, it's like my Andrew Wiggins argument. I just don't understand how it can be defensible to pay a fourth player Tobias Harris a bazillion dollars again if he had so many other options open to you. Yes, I know that they already kind of they bought bought into the sunk cost fallacy because they paid so much to get him. They thought, well, we can't only we have to keep him now. Yes, of course they had bird rights, so I get how that that works. But I just can't. I, I don't know how anyone can justify paying Tobias Harris thirty million dollars a year to be your fourth guy, right? To kind of coast through on a, you know, he's a nice player. There's nothing wrong with him. He is a really good. NBA player, but he's he's either surplus to requirements and doesn't get nearly enough touches, right? Or would, wouldn't you be better off again with like a Roco type player, you know, who can um, just be a spot up shooter and be a much tougher defender and rebounder? So I don't love that fit. And then again, this this age old question of they just haven't gotten anything um, in terms of a, a secondary playmaking and initiators. Ben Simmons has to create everything. And he's not very good in the half court because he refuses to shoot stroke, can't shoot. Uh, and Embiid and obviously needs to – it works very well with the ball in his hands. And, and then to just have – it just kind of gets all clunky, uh, very heavy post-based kind of offense, Daz. And I haven't gotten into the injuries yet, so I go, it just it, – it's just – there's nothing neat about it. Um, I think Brett Brown is on borrowed time. Uh, I think the Horford cost and opportunity cost is severe. Don't know if they can keep, you know, Richardson, who's a nice player. Um, well, Richardson um, hasn't played green, that well, though, couple... to be honest. I mean, Richardson, I would have expected a bit more from him as well. Yeah. I mean, he's only shooting 32% from three, so his shots fall on the way. I think they were hoping that would have been high 30s. Um, yes, he can God, play God, he's down defense. to 32.5%. You're right. Yeah, yeah. but I, I mean, he's, was that bad. he showed much more in Miami. Uh, I would have expected him to be much better this year. I think Embiid's play's taken a step back this year. I think that's been a dirty little secret there. I mean, for a big man like him, now you look at it and say, well, he's shooting 51% from the from the field from two. That's not good enough for a big man. And I know, and, and then you look at the three-point percentages where he's shooting, what, nearly four a game? At, 34 to go yeah, to 34%, yeah. which is just not good enough. Like, why is he even shooting those shots? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, you know, he's gone. Yeah. He's now 23 points a game. I understand he's not getting as many shots up as probably what he was, and his usage isn't the same as what it was when he was up there averaging near 30. But still, I, I still feel like his overall game's taking a step back. I think he settles for too many bad shots. Uh, you know, and, and this is why this offense has struggled so much. I think the theory of this team when they put it together was we're going to be able to have five five guys, you know, uh, a couple of whom, well, well, Simmons can sort of attack the rim and then we can surround them with a bit of shooting and none yeah. of them shot the ball that well. Um, of that five, uh, Tobias Harris is actually shooting the ball the best from three. Uh, and I think the, the yeah. theory probably would have been they all would have been about the same. Hoff has just fallen off a cliff. He, his defense has fallen off. His his shooting's fallen off. I'm not sure if he's just if he's unhappy there as well. I, I, I don't get the sense my, this is a happy team. That's either. my gut. Yeah, no, that's not a joy. You know, losing sucks. And again, even like a team like we've said it before, like a team like Charlotte and Washington, they play for each other and they play. They, they have team unity. Right? They lose a lot of games, and they they're playing 
to the best of their abilities, right? There's nothing more demoralizing than having your having the team unclear roles, changing roles, right? And just uh, uh, again, I got to say, it's coaching in the half court. I know it's not been an easy job description for Brett Brown, but he has not unlocked this team at all. That's just not fun when no one's optimized, right? Um, you know, you just triggered a, a great thought for me, and I've just pulled up the, the one of the best, you know, the basketball reference page. Um, some data to support what you just said. Um, so, uh, Joel Embiid, so percentage of his field goals attempted by distance, right? So last yep. year, 34% of his, 34% of all of his shots were next to the rim, zero to three feet. This year it's down to 24%. Oh, that's dramatic decrease. That's a massive decrease. So shots from three to 10 feet. So in that lane, it was 21% last year down slightly to 19%. And then spikes, 10 to 16 feet. He's gone from 13% to 20% of his shots. And and um, his mid-range, deep mid-range is up from 9% to 14% of his shots are, are 16 feet and out. And again, a slight uptick in three-pointers from 22 to 23%. So you just sort of called it out, right? So is it is it injury? Is it mindset? Or is it system or all the above? But Joel Embiid, one of the largest humans on the planet, is away from the basket. Right, and you go. Why is he away from the basket? Well, guess what? Ben Simmons can't body shoot. Right? It's hard. It's hard <laughs> to ignore that. That's. It's not the only reason, right? But I go. It's system. It's. It's the the presence of a a superlative player. And I actually I've kind of come around on Simmons. His attitude I don't love, but holy f that the talent he has is. It, it's it's absolutely it passes the eye test, doesn't he? Does so. I just think oh, he was playing brilliantly before him. he went down. I mean, when when Embiid went down, was, Simmons put yeah. the term on his back, and they weren't winning as much um, as, as when Embiid's there. But you could sort of see the potential there. I think that the, the reality is they haven't surrounded these two with the right players. But I think the big question is: is there a is there a number of like is there three players you can surround these two with and make it be successful? I'm not convinced on what we've seen through their careers that you can. Um, and, and I think it's time for Brett Brown. I mean, uh, Brett Brown's been there for a long time now. I think he's. it gets to a point where it doesn't matter if you, you're a really great coach, you've taken the team as far as they can go. So either you need to change the entire team and keep the coach, which that's not going to happen, or you need to bring in a new coach. I mean, it feels yeah. like a, a Doug Collins situation back in those Chicago days um, or a Mark Jackson situation maybe in Golden State, like just where they've gone to a certain point, you go, okay, we're not getting over the hump with this guy. And maybe Brett Brown goes on and does a really good job elsewhere in the NBA. I'm sure he will. Uh, but the, what yeah. he's done, it feels... And I think the final point I'm making, I've said this a number of times, I think Philly will go back and regret the process from this point of view. They picked up a lot of bad habits in all those years of losing and they just haven't been able to shirk them. And things like you know allowing Ben Simmons to play when he's got a bad back, and now he, he tweaks it again. Now, whether that was going to happen or not, I don't know. But you assume playing wasn't wasn't the best thing, given that he lasts about five minutes, and there he's possibly out for the rest of the season. They're the sort, and, and they've got they've had a bad record with their medical staff as well. So they're the sort of things that can creep into a, an organisation when, when when no one gives a shit about winning for three straight years, 
it's hard to kick those habits. And I think there's a number of things that have happened in the, in the franchise, including the sort of Colangelo nonsense that happened in the front office as well, that you sort of look at and think, if they had have had better habits, you know, look at Washington this year, for example. Washington could have put the queue in the rack, you know, got yeah. rid of Bradley Beal and said, we're going to win 10 games. But, you know, they're, they're setting up something. I think they're going to be better for it. And I think Philadelphia is paying the price now for those years of just saying, who gives a shit? Because that's that's the attitude that comes off to me for Embiid. I mean, we've all played with that guy, haven't we, Daz, that's just the big guy and you go, just get down near the basket and he wants to stand outside and shoot shoot 18 footers all, all night. That's Embiid at the moment because he just doesn't, I don't, it just doesn't seem to me that he really cares about, you know, we, we've got to win this game. This Well, I've got to be doing what I need to do to help the team win. It's like, I'm going to go out there and do what I want to do. Yeah. I, a big part of me thinks a lot of them just accepted their reality that this, the, the pieces don't fit, right? When your two best players, right, are, are at their best when the ball is in their hands, you've got a challenge, right? Uh, like Houston's got their own version of the same challenge. The two best players are, are at their best with the ball in their hands. In this case, neither of these two players can shoot, Right. And so what you have, I go, well, then where are the, what are the archetypes where your best player or arguably your best player are these two types of players? And I look at Ben Simmons, you think about an offense based around Ben Simmons would look like what, Daz? It would look like how Golden State has used Draymond Green, right? Draymond Green can't freaking shoot, but guess what? He can freaking pass the ball. And so Steve Kerr in his brilliance, right, has all the movement and all the back cuts and screens and the playing stuff, running wild, right? No, yes, I know it's the two best shooters of, of all time, but I go, that for me is how Ben Simmons could be optimized, is the ball in his hands, and he's surveying with his size and his instincts, and in transition, he's constantly surveying and setting everyone up for success, right? And he's, he's, then he's also feeling, he's got, the, he's got the feedback. He's feeling great about his role as this is the key facilitator. You can't do that with Embiid, who demands the ball in the post and who wants to Malcolm Brogdon the air out of it every time he touches it. So I go, you need to surround Simmons with shooters and let him have the ball in his hands. Give him Reddicks, give him Middletons, hell, give him freaking Miritiches and Bojan Bogdanoviches, right? Give him shooters, right? Haven't done that. Embiid, I go, in a very in a slightly different way, but who... Which, what are the good offenses that run through their center, right? It's Jokic, right? He's the model of success. Now, granted, he is a much more dynamic passer playmaker, but I go, that's the type of offense you'd need is this inside-out game. So guys who are you know, point guards who can shoot, point guards who could pull up off the bounce and play inside-out and kind of run cuts off of, you know, run, run, run the offense through MB, right? High post stuff, low post stuff. You know, if wants to pick and pop every now and again, great. But they just... Ben Simmons cannot pick and pop. He, he's no good in the pick and roll, right? Because you know exactly what he's going to do every time. So I go, you just actually, it's easy to hate these guys, but I'm almost going to start to feel bad for the human, the human Embiid and the human Simmons because they're, they're just not, they're not at their best. And I know that's the oldest take in the world, but it's just so easy to see now. It's just so easy to see, especially with these numbers of Embiid. He's going further and further away from the basket because I think he has to, Daz. I don't know if it's mindset or attitude or I just think he feels like who else can space the fucking floor because I got Ben Simmons standing in the goddamn dunker spot, right, waiting for a, waiting for a kickout or trying to crash the boards. You know, what am I supposed to do? 
So anyway, well, Ram- the criticism Ram- I'd make of Simmons, the the final point I make on 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 Philly here is that he hasn't like if you believe what you hear out of Philly, he can actually shoot in practice. Like he's not the worst shooter you've ever seen. He's not Markel Fultz level when Fultz had the yips. I mean, he's actually a reasonable shooter in an empty gym. Why he he doesn't work harder on his shot in off seasons and actually just start taking some shots in these games? Yeah, I just fair. can't understand. I, I don't. I, I just don't get it. And that's where I sort of I look at. Does he have a little bit of Wiggins in him where he's just so physically gifted? He's never really had to work that hard. Right. His physical gifts have always gotten him everywhere. So just he doesn't have the work habits. Right. When you are so, so physically superior at every single level, you just the question, you don't have to work. Whereas a an Embiid or a Giannis or a Siakam or these guys who kind of have to make their games from nothing hell or even like a Kawhi. Right. Who had to completely reskill himself their their entire existence is all about constant and continuous improvement and challenging themselves. And that's, that's, that's clearly not been embedded into Simmons, right? It's just been almost too physically gifted and probably what coaches, you know, what, what are coaches going to say when he just runs around dominating at every level? There's only so much coaching you can do, right? So you do kind of feel bad for, for the kid in a way, because he's perhaps has never had to, had the need to need to do it. Well, the sad thing is, I mean, if he was, if only he was seven foot and just could just dunk and dunk all the time, does because that's just easy. <laughs> so we'll we'll move on. Uh, we'll move on to well, the paces. Oh, but, but before we move on to that that team, right? Just the um, just because you were, were disparaging him, Fultz was two for three from downtown tonight, Daz. No, Fultz. I, I said the, the, the yips, Fultz. I said Fultz when he had the yips. Fultz. I tip my hat to him this year. He's been a pleasure to watch. Um, he's never going to reach the heights we thought he would as the number one pick. I no. think it's fair to say that. But he's a, he's a starting caliber NBA player. I think. Um, you know, whether, yeah, whether he'll ever wrong be with his shot, but still, yeah. But well, he's got some, minutes a, game, it's a weird that, shot, but he he plays hard. He's actually a reasonable defender. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think it's just a, it's a good news story. He's in the, he's uh, in the perfect. He's, yeah, he's, he's in the perfect situation. There's just no media attention. <laughs> nobody cares about South Florida. He just, 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 yeah. It's, it actually is a good spot for him. It'd so be I, good to see him have a moment keep... in the playoffs. They'll be in the playoffs. It'd be good to see him come out and, and maybe score twenty points or something and, uh, and hit a few yeah. shots. So, um, look, the next thing I wanted to talk about was was the Pacers. Um, I watched this game and. Uh, this was against the Bucks, of course, the, the game that they had there. And the Bucks jumped out to, I think it was a 19-2 lead. I, I wondered if if the Pacers would crack 10 points in the half. Their, their defense just looked so helpless. Uh, sorry, their offense looked yeah. so helpless against that Bucks D. And the Bucks D was just on order, automatic, Daz. Like, every player knows where he needs to be. They, they trust where the help's coming. They know where Giannis is going. Like Giannis is basically just ro- roaming through, actually. Brooke Lopez is the important guy in the defense um, in terms yeah. of protecting the rim. He is so smart, Brooke Lopez, in terms of being in the right position. Exactly. And, and every time the Pacers thought they had an open shot, there's just someone there and they're either getting it blocked, putting up a bad shot, turnovers. Um, it was just really 
really uh, impressive by the Bucks. Yeah. Not so impressive with the with the paces. Thankfully for them, Doug McDermott came out in the second quarter and, and lit it up for about 17 points. So they got it back to two points uh, by the half time. But then the third quarter, the Bucks said, well, let's uh, let's get serious again. And I think once the two starting fives were out there, the Bucks were just so much better. It was the bench, the paces bench. I think in the end, Nate McMillan, pulled the stars again pretty early in the third and just decided to go with the bench guys because they were playing much better. But uh, in the end, the Bucks far too good. I think they won't lead in the end by about 21, 19 to 21 points. So, and, and that's been the story of those games because I watched a couple of those Pacers Bucks games. So there's no question the Pacers are, are a fair way behind the Bucks at the moment. The big question for them continues to be, what's Vic Oladipo going to look like next season? I think I think it's fair to say we're not even going to get a 60% of what he was this year. The question is, what 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 level can Vic Oladipo get back to? I fear he, he won't ever get back to the level we saw him in that great series against LeBron and the Cavs a couple of years ago, but will remains to be seen. And I think the other thing I'd say about the Pacers, I think they've got a trade to make. And I actually think Sabonis might end up being the guy that they move on. As good a season as he's had, he might have the most value of a guy they can move on and maybe they bring in another wing uh, player as well. But I think the final point you'd make, and, and I'll go to you in a second, but I think when TJ Warren's your, your, your barometer, I think you're, obviously your ceiling's always going to be pretty low. Um, but it does show just how stupid Phoenix were, the fact that they gave him away for nothing. And he's had a really good year. I mean, he's, he's just sort of a basically a better version of Terrence Ross. Uh, he just comes out, he gets hot occasionally, he takes some really dumb shots, yeah. doesn't play a hell of a lot of defence. But look, you know, he's had a good year. He's going to play players for a team that's well, probably cr- going to be a, a five. That's why I, go, I do a little... A little credit to Nick McMillan, right? Because basically this is the Boyan spot, right? That TJ Warren just slides in, doesn't have the the deep ball. He's respectable, I think, thirty seven percent, far less, far fewer attempts than than Bogdanovich had. But yeah, TJ Warren has been a a wonderfully competent NBA NBA three. But um, yeah, look, I again, you've probably heard my broken record on this because of all the Brogdon um overhype in the off season and all the criticism of the bucks being cheap and they're going to get worse and i was one of the minority who said look i just don't one his injury history is terrifying why i know this because i know what the posterior chain of injuries looks like and surprise surprise the last this is the fourth or fifth injury of the year brogdon has this it's um it's a quad tendon it's the one that attaches to your hip right and it's, the hip connects down to the hammy where he's all these hammy and, and feet problem. It's just the posterior. It's the backside of your body chain, right? So he's injured again. Um, and if the greatest ability, ability is availability, he's not available again. And that, for me, is also a worry for for Indiana. Brogdon's injury history goes way back to his college days, very well documented. Part of the reason he fell to the second round in the draft is all these foot problems, super, super flat feet. There's all kinds of ripple effects on his lower back and that sort of thing. So... And he's also, right, again, his ability to scale has also proven not to be the case. He's uh, His efficiency has plummeted since that super hot start playing the Knicks every night. So that, for me, is also a, probably not a worry. But I think it's kind of go. you just expect to get 55, 60 games from Brogdon and a flip a coin if he'll be available in April. Um, that, for me, is a bit of a kind of a downer because I really wanted that to be a win-win trade. He's a, he's a great guy, and I, you tip your hat to how Indiana handled that process, right, with trying to actually, you know, make a trade for a restricted free agent. So I don't wish the guy ill will, but it's again, very easy to predict his, his physical demise. Um, 
I'm a, I'm actually not a believer in Sabonis. I, I I just I don't get it. I think he plays yesterday's NBA. He looks like a worse version of Vucevic. I have no idea how he made the All Star game. And like maybe I only catch him on games where I'm seeing against the Bucks, or again he's relegated to jump shooting because he can't even get near the paint against Brook and, and Giannis. He was six for sixteen against the Bucks. I mean he just looks he just looks like a guy. Right. Um, I know he's had a nice player in a nice year, but I just, yeah, I think you're right. He's probably is the most valuable trade asset, though. Um, God, he looked good out in out in Portland. To be honest, just give them some some muscle, <laughs> right? He's kind of like a, an idealized version version of um, Julius Randle, but and and then fucking Miles Turner. I'm like, I'm he's, he's in my new angry <laughs> player who just he's in kind of not quite Andrew Wiggins, but. He just has all the physical tools, right? And that beautiful touch that we actually saw in Melbourne, right? These rainbow threes. He's setting beautiful screens, Daz. Remember those screens? Yeah. He can still protect the rim. He's, he's, got, he's got the tools for your, I mean, a three-point shooting rim protecting five. I go, boy, sounds like something the, the Golden State Warriors could use, right? The perfect Golden State Warriors center, in my opinion, Um Maybe Wiggins for Miles Turner. There you go. But um, yeah, just God, just no development, right? So I like Sabonis and I like Brogdon and I like Aaron Holiday as a as a backup. And Turner's good enough, but I I think the yeah the other thing you just saw is just the talent base. You know, they just get out out athleted, you know, by I think by by a lot of teams. And so um, tip your hat to the team who's you know they fought pretty hard this year, but I. I worry about them down the stretch now with Brogdon and Oladipo in and out of the lineup. So uh, I think they're going to be a. I know you thought they were pretty a pretty plucky playoff team, but unless Brogdon somehow is full health and Oladipo is even seventy percent, I don't. I don't think they're going to be much of a of a threat, and even in the first round, to be honest. As I don't know, do you see something I'm? I don't see. Uh, no, I don't. I, look, I think Miami yeah. are, are, are up there. We're going to talk about them in a minute. So you you never quite know what you're going to get out of them, but I think they'll have enough class about them to, to see off the paces. I just think, again, we talk about floor ceiling. I think this team's got a reasonably high floor, certainly a high enough floor to beat the, the teams they're supposed to beat. You know, and, that, and that's the thing about the paces. They'll beat the, the Nets, they'll beat the Bulls, they'll beat the Wizards, they'll beat yeah. the teams they're supposed to beat. They're not going to beat the teams they're not supposed to beat. So they're going to lose to the Raptors, they're yeah. going to lose to the Bucks. That yeah. That's sort of the way this team is. The thing about Sabonis that's really stood out this year has been the passing. Five assists a game, he's, he's really got a good hoops IQ, and that's sort of, his dad was, of course, known for that as well. So that's that's what I think has sort of jumped out at people and saying this guy uh, can be a, a bit more of an X factor than what we made. And that's thought. fair enough. Um, yeah. But I, I agree with you. I don't think he's anything special, and I think he's he's... His value will never be greater than what it is now. Um, and so that's why yeah. at the off-season, I'd be looking at him. I think Batate's actually played pretty well off the bench for them, so they've got a big game waiting. I think one of Miles Turner or Sabonis won't be on this roster next year. Turner's a bit harder to trade because they signed him to that extension, um, and I think Sabonis might have a bit more value. So watch this space there. Um, Victor Oladipo has looked absolutely terrible since coming back, but let's let's just wait and see on that. Yeah. Uh, and finally on Brogdon. I mean, Brogdon, I feel bad for him. 
obviously a, a very different. I mean, he was 50-40-90 guy this year. Um, this season, he's shooting a tick over 31% from three. But obviously, a lot of those are much different shots than he was getting a look at in the Bucks. The thing I love about, about Brogny is he just doesn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, seven assists a game. He's got two and a half turnovers a game, but given the amount of usage he's had, that's pretty low when you look at some of the other players in the league and sort of the turnover number. So he's a smart player, but to your point, the injury worry was always there with him. Um, the shooting numbers were always going to dip given the, given the job description he was going to have at the paces. But I still think the paces yeah. would be bullish about his overall play when he's been on the court. I just think they'd be looking at it going, oh, gee, these, these injuries keep keep um, piling up. And maybe he's just a guy that you're going to look at and say, you know what, he's going to play 60 games a year for us uh, if we're lucky. Um, but it's not it's not a Kawhi Leonard 60 games where Kawhi's saying, oh, I just don't feel like turning up tonight. This is going to be 60 games where he's missing blocks of you know, 10 at a time type of thing. And I think that's that hurts a franchise a bit more than, than the Kawhi situation where he's just uh, yeah. soft as fuck. Yeah, yeah. And again, there's a guy who, again, awesome dude, and he's got his place um, in the NBA Players Association now. So he's, he's, he's an incredibly great locker room presence, intelligent player, all those things. And just as you point out, really heady um really had a great great control of the game but if this chain of injuries so the two things one is the actual missing time but two there's a cumulative effect for a guy who's not f not the most athletic guy right he's a bit rigid not exactly quick that for me is the big worries or where he just not going to be able to get his shot off right that's the big worry for him and i don't know how much that's because he's been shooting much more off the bounce or because he's just not getting you know not getting a bit uh, enough space to get his shot off both from two and from three that's the worrying effect for a guy like this who needed every ounce of athleticism to, you know, to kind of, you know, get defenders on his hip and to get a bit of space to, you know, to shoot the three because he has a really slow release. Um, and it proved this year, actually. I saw a bit of that early in the season. But, yeah, I think he – the best hope for these guys is I think you've, you've named it. I think I think Turner was, has got upside in him in a better situation. Um, but I think you're right. He doesn't have the trade value of a Sabonis. Um, as counterintuitive as that sounds. And who knows, if you get Vic optimized, even 90% Vic, and put the ball back in his hands, then you'll see, I think you'll see old Brogdon mm. the playing off the ball like he did last year in Milwaukee with Giannis and, and Middleton and Bledsoe breaking down defenses and him in these brilliant catch-and-shoot. He is great attacking a closeout off a catch-and-shoot. So that's you have the Bucks penetration, pierce the defense, kick to Brogdon, and if he didn't have the quick wide open, he could attack with his big body. He's actually a pretty good closer at the rim last year. So he is a great as a secondary playmaker, initiator. He can penetrate enough, he can finish enough, and even, you know, and obviously shoot the three from a standstill position. So I hope the best for him, but um, I think Indiana's a pretty pretty quiet exit this year if they're even if they get the four or five spot or five or six spot, I think they're going to be against an Indiana or I guess you'd have the walking wounded. Technically, I guess them and Philly could still finish five, six. Well, here's a question we've noticed, though. Whose future do you feel better about, Indiana or, or Philadelphia's? Jeez, oh, that should be an easy answer for Philadelphia, shouldn't it? It should be really easy. Um, but they're going to have to blow up their whole front office and their coaching staff again. And 
gosh, they got the ball. I'm still going to say Philly, but because mm. they can get so much trade value. So assuming they can pull the trigger on, on a Simmons and Embiid, I think they have to trade one Daz. So I'd still say Philly, but they also have probably the downside where I, I got to respecting in the different, different roster building paths available to these teams at the moment. Right. So, um, uh, but that's an interesting question. Yeah, it's still Philly, but it's actually not a. It's not a I break. lean Philly, but it's it certainly wouldn't surprise me if the Pacers win more games than them over the next four years, uh, and, they, and they look like they're going to win more games yeah. than this year. So uh, it, it certainly wouldn't surprise. But I think that the ceiling's certainly high with, with Philadelphia, and they've got more assets to make more moves that they certainly would need to yeah. make. Let's talk the final team. Now, this is the game I watched where the Bucks got beaten. Um, beaten reasonably comfortably in the end as well. Let me make the case, Daz. I think if there's a team that's going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference, it's the Miami Heat. And let me tell you why. If, if you're going to beat the Bucks, what's the recipe for it? And we saw it last year with Toronto. And Toronto, people, you got to remember, they beat them in four straight games. Right now, if if Milwaukee win any of those four games, I think Milwaukee win the series. So that that's how sort of tied it swung. But I think you need to get hot for those f- four out of seven games. Doesn't have to be four straight necessarily, but you need to have hot shooting from a number of different guys that just can't miss. You've got to be able to throw someone on Giannis one on one that they can at least slow him down. You've got to have guys that can defend the point of attack. And you've got to be able to put lineups out there where everyone's a threat to score at any at any different stage, and everyone can handle the ball, right? To make the Bucks that Bucks defense work over time, every single time down the floor. And I think that's what Miami have. The questions with Miami, I think, is going to be in the end: Are some of those guys going to make the shots? Are they going to have a Fred VanVleet type series from a Duncan Robinson, for example, right? Um, is Bam Adebayo going to be able to guard and slow down Giannis enough over the course of those uh, you know, four games that they would need to win um, to do it? But I think the recipe's there, Des. I'm not sure that they're going to be able to put it together. And to be honest, it wouldn't even surprise me the inconsistency they've had across the season if they went out in the first round. But I think second round... They're going to be in that four-five slot. I would have loved to have seen them make a push up to the two-three and get get the Bucks in the in the Eastern Conference Finals. But did you see anything? They've beaten the Bucks twice now. Uh, actually, have they beaten the Bucks three times? Or I think they only twice. The first time to beat the Bucks. No, twice they're two and all though. They've 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 only played twice. Yeah, once. That's really right. They're only team to beat the Bucks time. twice this year. So, um, yeah. but did you see anything in those two games, particularly the game last week, that that gave you a moment's pause um, to think, well, this this is a team that's going to give us some problems um, in the playoffs. Yeah, but I did, and it was all the reasons you stated, and it was similar to when. You know, when the Bucks lost to Toronto last year, which is right when you have a good enough defender, and I'm not anointing Bam out of bio, but, you know, him and, and Kawhi are good enough, you know, to be able to slow Giannis at the point of attack and force him to give the ball a little bit earlier and, and not just bully, you know, his way under the rim at, 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 um, at will. Um, so, so I see that they've got that formula. And then you just need crazy shooting, right? And that's what they did. But... But I go, that's what the Bucks defense is engineered to do, right? So by the same token, right, the, the Heat starters um, also didn't shoot very well. They didn't get anything inside. It was 
Jay Crowder hit five or six three pointers. Oh, Olenek. Didn't well, that's miss. the thing, and that's why I'll stop Dragic, you there, Daz. You know, they all just. Yeah, I'll just stop yeah. you there because the Bucks give up a lot of threes. We know this, but they give up the yeah. threes they want you to take. And this is where we go right back to our first conversation with the Raptors, right? Yeah. And that game against the Raptors. And I felt like the the Bucks are just giving them the shots they want them to take. And they're saying, if you're good enough to hit them, good luck. You move on. We'll, we'll yeah. lose tonight. Yeah. This is the worry I have. I so think the Heat, the heat I'm, I'm not, can get I'm not, hot enough where they're hitting those threes. And if you give Duncan Robinson some ridiculous threes, the dude's shooting 45% on eight, eight and a half <laughs> takes a game, you know, he's just been on fire lately. That's a guy that can make 10 threes where you get, where, wherever you're giving him up. And I think the, the Bucks defense yeah. is so disciplined and so automated. I'm not sure they're going to be able to say, well, we're going to change things up. I think they're just going to trust the math and keep doing what they're doing. The Heat's the team that are good enough and random enough to maybe do what the, the Raptors did to them last year. Possibly. Look, possibly. Like, Jimmy Butler can't shoot. Bam Adebayo can't shoot. Derek Jones can't shoot. Kendrick Dunn, a bit all over the place. So I kind of, I hear you. But right, they only have one to two starters who can actually shoot. And so that's the big dilemma you have when it goes back then to coaching matchups and rotations, right? Was I go, when Bam, Jimmy, and Derek Jones, you know, three starters can't shoot, what, what do you do? And how do you do that? So you need the Crowder, the Olenek. Uh, I don't know what Tyler Hero's injury situation is. Um, but, um, but yeah, so you're not wrong, right? I guess on paper, but I go, I think if those players were in the starting lineup, I'd be a little bit more, a little more nervous. Um, so I guess I'm, again, because this particular game was a freakish outlier. They think they were what? They were 18 <laughs> for 37. They shot 49% from three and the Bucks were 20%. Right, seven for thirty-four. As I said, the offline, the the chance of a double outlier shooting performance in the same game, you know, multiple standard deviations away from the average, you know, in either direction is like one in you know one in twenty chance. A five or six percent of NBA games have a double outlier performance. The risk is that the Bucks defense, as you said, is engineered to allow, you know, allow three pointers and completely not let you anything in the paint. Um, where I do give them credit, right, is like like Toronto, as they will play fucking hard for 48 minutes. You're not going to get a breath. Where Philly and Boston, you're going to find a breath. I'm sorry. There's going to be times in the game where, oops, oops, Hayward and Tice did something, and suddenly it's a buck mm. 7-0 run, right? I go, there's enough blips where, oops, Embiid did two pull-up threes and back-to-back possessions, and Simmons threw one in the stands, and it's a you know 8-0 run. You know, I mean, there's enough of those which you just can't have deep in the playoffs where – Miami's disciplined, um, so long as Goran Dragic doesn't get a doesn't get ejected for his knee to George Hill, which should have got him suspended. No, really, it was uh, Hill got injured. He fucking need him right in the fucking balls. Um, I don't know how they didn't get more press, but um, anyway, he's in my. He learned that in his two days in San Antonio when we drafted him before we traded <laughs> him to the Suns. <laughs> Cocksucker, but uh, look, they play hard. They have a ton. They play hard, right? We've known that about them. Um, Iggy, I, I saw him play. He, he doesn't have his, you know, doesn't have his legs. He's yet. looking better. So he's, he's looking a in... bit better at each game. But um, yeah. He, yeah, you're right. He's on defense. He's looked pretty good the last few games. He's, the shots quite yeah, not can, quite yeah, there yet. Play. But yeah. um, he's looked better like than if, probably if what I into, thought he would. You got a fighter's chance right am i am i worried no but is that the team where you just you said there's enough toughness enough at a bio 
um, you know, d- defense. But, you know, they have no rim protection besides him. So, again, you, you get him on the bench for a little while. And it, it's, um, again, there's, there's, uh, there's also ways that you can take advantage of the Heat team, but he's off the floor, right? So, um, well, the way yeah, these games like, are called I, is going to be critical. And, that, and that's what we'll get to with the Lakers game, too, I think. If they allow these teams to be physical, that's going to be another advantage, I think, to Miami. And they allow the quite a bit of physicality in, in the Miami-Milwaukee game, I felt, which really played into what the, the Heat were trying to do. Um, I, thought, I thought the Bucks matched it fine, but I thought it was, it was more of an advantage the way the Heat's trying to defend. The fact that they let them get away with a little bit of physicality um, that maybe otherwise on other nights you would have seen some fouls called. Um, particularly the way the bio I thought was, was guarding Giannis at times. Um, yeah, and I, it's it's funny you mention that because we've seen literally the tale of two, which is maybe the, the perfect segue because they called everything... Eh barred some fucking crazy Los Angeles shit, right, in that game. But the <laughs> whistles were blowing all over the place, right? The free throw disparity was insane. And I'm not going to get into it, but I, the point was that the whistles were everywhere in Bucks lakers right? Um, and they ate their whistles a lot, and Giannis was getting mugged. And so NBA Twitter was had lost their shit in both, in both cases, right? I actually feel that the Bucks are going to be better served as – I probably wouldn't have believed this a couple months ago, but I think they're going to be better served with light whistles and letting them play, because what that does when you slow down when you slow down Giannis and Co. and you got infinite um, stoppages of play is you just have no transition mm-hmm. game. The game is slow. The game's a grind. It's more in the half court, and it forces them into right into that into that playmaking super efficiency mode and when you're playing against a LeBron or a Kawhi and Paul George in the in the finals if it would be my money would still be on LeBron and and, and Paul George and Kawhi to be honest if they're going to have fucking both teams in you know 30 fouls and in 40 free throw attempts so that's where I'm actually I've, I've come around to where it's, it's frustrating and as maddening as to watch Giannis get pounded on and then they not make calls um, I actually think a, a looser game so long as it's not imbalanced right I don't know if you feel differently. So I think that actually would allow them to play freer and easier and a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. But there's not much you can do. You know, if, if AD and Giannis are both on the bench, my money's on the Lakers, right? If Kawhi and, and Giannis are on the bench in foul trouble, my money's on the Clippers. So Yeah, I think um, it depends on that's the opponent. The other, yeah. I think it depends on the opponent. I'd rather... If I'm playing Miami, I think I'd rather get them in a half-court game. Get your defense set. You They're not getting yeah. those open threes when you're a little bit a little bit disorganized. And that's where they can beat you. I mean, you look look at this. When you look down, and we've, we've talked a lot about percentages tonight, but if you're looking at the percentages, Duncan Robinson, which I mentioned, shooting 45%. Kendrick Nunn, who's a real streak shooter, he's shooting 35% overall, but we've seen him catch fire. Jay Crowder's shooting over 40%. Uh, Goran Dragic over 38%. Tyler Hero, 39%. He's not out for the season either. He'll be back um, in a few weeks, I think. Uh, Myers Leonard and Kelly Olenek both shooting over yeah. 40% as big got men. So they've got a number of shoes. Now, they're not all going to be on the floor together. I think at, at times you might have three of those guys out on the court at any one time is probably the most. But if, if they can get up and down the court and get 
get on a roll, um, that's when I think they're going to be the most dangerous. And and, and if you, as I said, the only way I see this Bucks team losing in the East is if a team just overperforms expectations on that three-point shooting because the Bucks are happy to give you some of those bad percentage threes. And that's where I think the Heat are the team best placed to take advantage of that. Um, and, and really, at the end of the day, I think the, the Bucks have always said we're going to trust the math. The math didn't work out in their favour last year. It was... People make out like that was an easy win or something for, for Toronto. I mean, the Bucks are almost an afterthought when people talk about last season. I think people need to look very, very closely that there was one or two plays away from the Bucks winning the entire NBA last year um, rather than Toronto. Um, I think the Bucks were closer to winning the title last year than Golden State yeah. were, for example. Well, right? hi- so history history's written history's written by the winners. And I mean, there, was, there was 10 plays in that game three in particular that could have, should have, would have on the Bucks' way, that insane bloody overtime game, or double overtime game, which is, yeah, the most maddening 50 minutes of life, but I'm with you. I mean, that, that team felt, and again, we know what happened, the uh, devastating injuries to poor Golden State, but um, I, I think the, the one, um, just one final point um, on, on the, what was I going to say about the heat? Oh, bugger. <laughs> I lost it. Well, let's, let's go to the Rikers. Let's go to the Lakers game. Um, as you All said, right. a lot, lot of whistles in that game. Um, no rhythm, no flow in the game whatsoever. I just, it was a game I couldn't take anything out of, Daz, to be honest, other than that no. you know, I thought to myself afterwards, I'm now fully prepared for the LeBron James MVP conversation to start. Um, it's not a conversation I'd have. I think Giannis is that, that far out in front. Um, it's not funny. I think, I think LeBron's had a great year, don't get me wrong, but I think he's a clear second in that race. Um, but look, it certainly showed me the Lakers are good enough to go toe-to-toe with this team um, without having anything crazy happen. You know, I think if, if both of these teams play their absolute best, I, I slightly favour the Bucks, but by due, it's going to be a close series, Daz. Oh, yeah, if you allow me to go that far in advance, right? So you had the, obviously the major, so two things. I don't think we learned a lot either. I mean, the both teams... Were, right, the whistles were all over the place, and it just, yeah, it just ground the game to a hole. There wasn't lots of flow to it. Um, both teams actually played pretty good defense, I thought. So defense was was pretty strong. Um, and again, the, the the major takeaway right was just the, the 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 whole planet holding our breath. I don't know if you did you. I didn't watch it. I won't let myself watch the Giannis <laughs> buckling the knee play. Mm. Um, but everyone thought it was. It looked like a. It looked like ACL stuff, um, which remarkably is only a knee sprain, and so he's going to sit out for a little while. So that was the the big takeaway was that Giannis actually didn't get hurt, right? Um, that was probably the, the biggest takeaway. And then they go and back it up and beat the Clippers today. So I think if you're if you're a Lakers fan, you, you got to be feeling pretty good about life right now. With Giannis, you know, um, you're probably not sad that he's injured, but you know he's not injured seriously. So it means the number one overall NBA seed is probably well and truly in play now, because um, I have no doubt the Bucks will rest Giannis um, extra long. They'll take a bunch of L's here if they. Well, they're going to reassess no in the week. No really... They're going to reassess in the week. Was the last I read about it? Yeah, reassess in a week, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So look, take away the free throws. You know, and AD and 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 L LeBron were, you know, were good, but they also turned the ball over a lot. I thought the Bucks defense again was was the Bucks defense. 
which is maybe the highest floor in the league with that with that defense. Um, and you know, Lakers didn't make any shots. Right? I don't think any team they didn't make anything. They were look at this up six for thirty two right from from downtown right. And Bucks weren't much better. Twelve. Well, but to, so to our point earlier, that's because it was it was yeah. all in the half court. So they're all they're trying all to happened. generate shots out of that half court. Much more difficult um, than when you when you're doing it against a broken defense. Um, I thought Anthony Davis, and this this is something I've I've picked up on Anthony Davis this year. He just floats in and out of the games, does. But by D, when he's when he comes into the game, he just takes over a game for for sort of two three minute stretches. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just disappears, yeah. and you go, well, "What's Anthony? Is Anthony Davis on the court? Like I mean, he does, yeah. and he will just come and out another two or three or something. I don't know. He's he's he certainly picks his spots. I think that's, I, yeah, I remember him vividly when you know when Trump. Um, anyway, it's I, I remember the that seems that's the Davis I know, right? He's not exactly a, a Giannis force or an LBJ force or even a. Dare I say, imagine you let Embiid run the show, <laughs> you'd know what every minute. But he's yeah. But um, I mean, the game really wasn't in much doubt, right? It wasn't really, so it wasn't even very close. Like the Bucks, I think, had a little bit of early lead. Like the you know, halftime was pretty close. But then the third quarter opened up, and there was a couple of shots and five fouls right away. It was just the mm. game just got out of hand really quickly in the third. And so it really wasn't – I'm with you. didn't really learn much. Um, but if you care about seedings, I think the honest injury – opens up the door to the extent the Lakers care about the number one overall seed. Why not? Right. Um, probably can't hurt to have home court advantage in the, in the finals, no matter who you're facing. So, mm. um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything specific, but I actually thought the bucks played pretty good and the referees just made themselves, you know, way too much, way too much part of the game. Yeah. And Middleton had the, he's had two bad games. Middleton, I think had three bad games all year and two of them happened in the last little while he was terrible against Miami and he couldn't throw it in the fucking ocean against against the Lakers and it wasn't because he was blanketed by anybody he just just didn't go in like just missed shots so yeah it was a um just so god glad Giannis didn't do something Daz. well know. I'll tell you the the two takeaways it. I had is DiVincenzo's legit he's going to be a real coup part of the the Bucks rotation he had a block on LeBron which was not only a, a really athletic play but it was, it was more about how smart the play was and the, and where he came from how he defended the play um lebron actually went back and got steel i think straight away and then went down, down and dunked it but um so that that was a really positive i thought for the bucks and that was his second yeah. game in a row that the do vincenzo and the second takeaway i had was this is why, when, when for so many years I've pushed back against the LeBron MVP arguments and all this sort of stuff, this guy can play defense. He's a really um, impactful defender when he decides to play defense. And to his credit, who, who, he's who, played LeBron defense. James? LeBron James. James. He can play, yeah. like, when he decides to play defense, like he did in that game, like he has this season. Uh, he he's an unbelievable defensive player, and why he, he took is. those years off? <laughs> why why he took years and years and years? Again, I must have, and just said, I'm not going to bother. Harkin, I don't know. I remember the early days of Daz and Daz. I'm like, I'm watching the the last Cavs season, and I'm just going, I can't believe what this guy can't do on the floor. And I go, I must have been only watching the few times he he tried on defense that year. But uh, yeah, <laughs> did he? Did he tried a couple of LeBron, times. Jeez, the, I must have missed that. Greatest games. player in the league history can defend. Yeah, he can. 
Yes, he, he was can. the he was the matador um, for about five years, does. Yeah, I, I, I know he was. I'm, 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 I'm. I'm oh, he's on the mission. So he's on the mission. No, it's fine. It's fine. He's no, there's no benefit, right? They're gonna, they're gonna. There was no benefit, but um, yeah. What was interesting, my takeaway and the positive side was, um, Giannis was 11 for 14 from the foul line. Um, and well, he was 10 of 10, then went one of four late. I have to point that out. I hate to, I hate the rain on that, but uh, the one of four hurt them late. Oh, the, the game wasn't, it still wasn't, I hear you, it, it doesn't help to miss free throws in the fourth quarter. Um, we're looking at big sample sets here, Daz, but yeah, <laughs> thanks for <laughs> pissing in my soup. <laughs> but uh, uh, but no, that was a real, genuine, serious, honest-to-God, um, big question mark in the Bucks column, you know, for a long time, was that, holy shit, when you're best in the MVP, quote-unquote, you know, shooting whatever it was, 58 or 59% in the season, low 60s. You're like, that's a genuine concern. That's a hack a shack situation mm-hmm. waiting to happen in the playoffs, especially with fatigue, especially with pressure. You'd probably drop those numbers to, you know, maybe 50%, right? So he completely changes routine and knock on, knock on glass here. He's shooting something like people are tracking this. He's been like six, 76, 77% since he changes routine. Um, so there you go. There's the glass half full. Giannis isn't hurt. Dante looks like an NBA player. Um, the referees just need to not be so part of a game. And Middleton just couldn't. He won't have a. Yeah, he, he's, he's got a little bit of Harden in him. Five, five for nineteen. <laughs> yeah, just don't do it three times out of seven, Chris. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Daz. Well, look, we might leave it there for tonight. Next week, we'll look at uh, the Western Conference, and I want to look at the main contenders against the Lakers. And I think it's a similar situation over in the West, where you've probably got four or five teams that are going to be uh, either contenders or sort of quasi-contenders, and, and we can run the rule over them uh, next week. And then I was going to talk about some of the lower Eastern Conference teams this week, but I think we've got plenty of time uh, as the season goes on uh, to get through some of those the lower Eastern Conference teams. And I guess just look forward to who might have a bright outlook and who might be the New York Knicks. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> reconvene next week, Daz, um, and talk about those Western Conference. But uh, anything on the horizon this week that you're looking forward to uh, NBA-wise? No, look, with Giannis out, right, it's probably an all, a part of trying to take in... Um, you know, um, some Bucks replay games if they can be competitive, but that again, we're not going to learn much about about them. Um, I want to check in on on what's going on in Utah. That's a team I got my eye on. I think this week you know, it sounds like Conley might be finding his feet a little bit, and um, I might hate watch some more Houston Rockets losing. And um, I'm actually genuinely curious about what's. I haven't watched Boston seriously for a while. They lost a couple in a row here. T- tough games at home. So I might pick on might, might peek in on Utah and Boston. I think at the teams. Well, Jazz Raptors tomorrow you? and Jazz Raptors tomorrow. Celtics Pacers. Um, Perfect. It's going to be interesting one. I'm going to um, look out for the Kings Pelicans. 
later in the week. The, the eight seed in fun. the West yeah. is uh, is getting fun. Um, the Spurs pretty much dropped out of that today, but you've got uh, and, and I think the Blazers are pretty much gone as well. So it's now down. The Kings have made a little mini run, and sort of the Kings, Pelicans, and Grizz um, that are fighting it out there. And uh, that Buck Celtics game is on Friday, so I'll probably uh, make sure I have a bit of a look at that as well. Um, I just want to see how the Bucks are Bucks are performing even without Giannis. Uh, and and see how the Celtics match up against them. Yeah. I know it's a tough one. Um, we've no Giannis there, but let, let's see who steps up, um, and let's see how how Buds approaches it, um, and, and you know what what sort of uh, wherever there are changes in system from the point of view of, of no Giannis being there. So that's going to be the two interesting games um, that I'm going to be checking out uh, as the week goes on. So, but uh, look, happy to talk again, Daz. Yep. Good stuff, buddy. And are, are you just my last one? Are you in uh, tankathon mode for um, for the Spurs? Or are you still trying to grab the eighth seed here? No, no. Look, I, I've I, as you know, I've been looking ahead of the schedule. I keep talking myself into these twelve-two runs for the Spurs um, that never quite eventuate. They went on a three-game Eastern road trip this week, which was Charlotte, Brooklyn and the Cavs, and I thought you know what, and I think we had the Pacers at home before that, so that was four winnable Eastern Conference opponents, and I thought the Spurs, if How'd we could win out? those four, they went one and three, so uh, <laughs> including an overtime loss today, uh, yeah, so yeah. look, and yeah. I think on the season Daz, we are now uh, 11 and 24 in games decided by five points or less, so it's been a fun year it's been a fun year oh, um, in San Antonio, which I mean, torture. when you look at it that way, you wonder how much worse are they than last year? I don't think they're that much worse. I think they've just lost a lot of close games and just their execution there in the stretch has been absolutely abysmal. So, um, you know, they've been competitive yeah. night to night, but yeah. just can't win, just can't win. So uh, it's been very, very disappointing year, but look, I'm looking at the tankathon. It's a terrible draft. That's the only problem. So, um, it's it's not exactly a draft that yeah. you're looking forward to, uh, the way it has been in previous years. So we'll wait and see on that. But certainly, yeah. uh, the lottery day for the first time since 1997 does uh, is going to be marked yeah. into my calendar. All right. Crazy times. Yes. Crazy times in San Antonio. One last one last thing. I, I probably and just uh, I invite you have have a look. I, I was really pleasantly supply, surprised a couple of weeks ago. I was watching some Pels. Have I'd be curious what you think of Lonzo Ball. Right. Oh, He's been passing look, my eye test lately. Lonzo, yeah. I'm been, in. I'm all in. Yeah. The, the shop's yeah, fixed. Yeah, me too. Right. Okay. I didn't if know people you say the shop yeah. can't be fixed, his shot is fixed, a hundred percent. He's been outstanding, and I've watched a few games. And I was actually going to talk about it, like when. If and when we talk about the Pels, but it's certainly on, on yeah. my list of things that jumped out at me. Uh, I'm, I'm rooting for the Pels. As much as I love what the Grizz have done this year, and I wouldn't begrudge the Grizzlies to get into the playoffs, I'm rooting hard for the Pels to get in there because Lakers Pels in the first round, even though it's probably going to be a sweep, it's going to be a very entertaining sweep um, in that first round of the playoffs, Daz, because they're playing some really yeah. good, good basketball to watch. Just and terrible. You, you probably stretch. So I'm glad I'm glad to hear you on Lonzo again. I just I just liked how he plays. I mean, he's just passing the eye test and he's playing more comfortably off ball and he just he does what he does, which is control the tempo. So I think he's just found his running mate in Zion and just go pace, pace, pace. 
and um, they look like they're having fun. Well, Zion loves playing with him, and he's this is the player they the Lakers thought they were drafting. I think it's fair to say too. Yeah, we've seen small sample size. It's it's not because he hasn't looked this good all season. It's probably the last ten to fifteen games, I'd say. Um, But and and he's looks healthy for a player. You know, yes, he's still fairly young, right, to be playing this deep in the season and. You know, 60, 70 games in, it's it's encouraging. So, yeah, I'm glad you saw that too. And, yeah, Memphis, that's on my – boy, that's my, my all – if we have an all-resilience team, you know, to, to <laughs> they hang the injuries in they've had for them. They hang it's, just, in it's remarkable, yeah. Slow-mo, play, paying dividends. <laughs> <laughs> paying dividends. Yeah, that's it. Slow-mo and uh, Dylan Brooks, the two slowest forwards in the NBA. <laughs> it just – crafty little buggers but uh anyway we'll get into the dunk the non the playoff and non-playoff next time we're there should be yeah. some fun stuff happening and yes. we can't help but talk about how the i think um we start thinking about off season is that i think all 15 teams in the west will be making argument for being in the playoffs next year when maybe only <laughs> eight of the east <laughs> and i go the gap at least the gap at the top is probably a little bit sh- shorter, but oh my god, the chasm is just widening again, isn't it, Dad? It's 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 not yeah, getting any better. Dot dot dot. It's not getting any better. No. Anyway, all right, buddy. Okay, Thank mate. You. Have a good one. I hope you ha- hope you hang on to that toilet paper, mate, and um, we'll we'll see where we stand on on that front next week. I'm gonna do a celebratory wipe right now. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> uh, bye.